Welcome to Wine Country Women with Michelle Mandreau, the podcast for wine fanatics who are curious not only about what goes in the bottle, but the remarkable women who make these distinctive winemaking regions so special. Each week, we introduce you to a prominent woman and take a peek into her life and, of course, her favorite wines. Welcome to today's Wine Country Women podcast. I'm Michelle Mandro, and I'm talking with Julie Johnson, who is featured in Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. Julie, thank you so much for sitting down with us today. Thank you, Michelle. We are in your tasting room. We're in my little homey tasting room in the heart of Rutherford. I know, it's so charming. I love this little spot, surrounded by all the vines. Lots of vines, lots of olives, way too many pomegranates. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and um, just a lot of fruit trees. And right now, what we're really surrounded with, although we can't really see them from the tasting room, are bluebirds and swallows and all sorts of way up there, red-tailed hawks that are busy doing what they do this time of the year. Eat your crop? No, quite oh, no, okay, no, 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 quite there. They're, they're making whoopee, basically. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, who knew? I didn't know that. Yeah. So there's, there's an interesting We're trivia. surrounded and we don't even know it. <laughs> they're pretty quiet. Let's move on and talk about your career here. Before we talk about Trey Saboras, which is your wine brand, now and what you devote your life to primarily let's talk about what your first professional job was ever do you remember well you know really professional job i mean i used to pack i used to do christmas wrapping for the original williams sonoma in in palo alto wow but that one wasn't couldn't be called professional i guess my first really truly professional job was i ran a woman um a young working woman's health clinic at uh, Columbia University uh, one summer. I was newly minted as um, having a public health nursing and public health degree. And so I was working in New York and it was a marvelous summer. I got to meet uh, some amazing people. And what inspired you to well, want to take I, that job? Yeah, well, I, I'm a recent graduate at, at Columbia and also Um, I just had been working uh, during my education. So I kind of had two tiers of education, one kind of pre-med up in Maine, and then moved to New York to do nursing and public health and get another degree. And all during that time, I worked with two of the most amazing, inspiring women that probably I've ever met, and they were both nurse midwives, right in the heart of uh, Columbia Presbyterian Territory catchment area for the Bronx. And they were, we were all working. I worked in a young, basically a teen health clinic, gave a lot of shots. (laughs) (laughs) So you're, my first career was a nurse. Oh, and, and so it took meeting a young winemaker in the Finger Lakes to to actually uh, say, yeah, hey, I'll go back to California where I'm from and hang out in wine country where I actually went to summer camp and had spent some time. And so it felt like coming full circle in, in one big way. But but my first professional job was, was really in, in nursing. Okay. So. And I'm guessing that that gentleman that swayed you to come back west <laughs> is the man that you married, s- married and started Frog Sleep with. Yeah. John Williams and I hooked up and 
1981, joined with Larry Turley and each family, it's really true, each family had a motorcycle and we sold those motorcycles and we were able to buy our grapes and basically didn't quite have enough money to do a full-fledged label. So went with a freelancer, Chuck House, who did obviously a beautiful job and uh, went from there. So before I was working in home health all throughout the valley, met a lot of great old people here, um, but then... At a certain time, I started having kids, and I had to decide if I was going to continue to do three jobs or two. So I opted for um, the winery and for raising children. So, so I've got to ask, um, because I don't know the answer to this question, did you get any formal education, or did you really become a self-taught winemaker no really self-taught um in the, in the beginning it was it was self-teaching with a lot of mentorship from other women um in the business remember this is 1981 so there are a lot of things happening i mean we basically i got drafted because there was nobody else who was going to answer the phone calls or do the orders or enter that i mean this is even almost virtually pre-internet we were right the first well you know so so here you know step forward to today um it's an entirely different world but people like joan rumbauer were mentors um, margaret duckhorn uh jamie davies those were all people who were mentors and encouragers and not only just mentors but really people who were sponsoring and supporting and encouraging and teaching and that was pretty incredible so i did sales and marketing and it kind of gave me the creative edge and reward that side of the business can be very flexible you know as far as child rearing and also very challenging and kind of taps into creativity so it was great I mean it was a wonderful time to be able to build a winery um, a lot of people including me had absolutely not a clue what we were doing but it a lot of things worked and I'm darn glad they did but a lot of things worked and so I just continued to do that I didn't start really to go into the wine world until my project with Trace Saboris and so let's talk about that well, yeah, it was, was kind of crazy, <laughs> but lots of fun. Yeah, so when did you start Tracer Boras? So in 99, well, even back further, in 87, uh, John uh, Williams and I bought this beautiful property on the western side of 29. It's really, the property, if I can paint a picture, it's, it's just as the land starts to sweep out of the valley floor. So we're on a slope. We're really the quintessential alluvial fan we kind of almost have our own little canyon here and so it's a beautiful place to grow zinfandel which was here planted in 71 and cabernet which we budded over to cabernet in 1989 when we moved here in 87 it was all zin budded over to cabernet used it for frog's leap and then around 99 i was thinking that there were things to move on from and props perhaps too and I said to myself well if you can think of a new idea then go for it so I did I hired three winemakers uh, Ken three. Bernard's Rudy <laughs> Zudima and Karen Culler why three well three it's a great number right you know it's a, it's a, if you have one if you have one winemaker or the other there's always a comparison that way right. and, you know there's always going to be lots of interesting dynamic going on with three and i gave each of them two tons of zinfandel and i had them each make their own cuvee the only the only rule was 
no rules. Just uh-huh. check your preconceptions about Zinfandel at down at the gate, and if we had a gate, and and uh, then go for it. You know, don't worry about it. So they gave basically gave their work orders to me, and and that's kind of how I learned kind of how to make wine or how they were making wine. And it taught us so much about the vineyard. It taught me so much about everything from wild yeast fermentation to open, small open top production to, which we continue to do to this day, to barrel selection, to um, production, bottle selection, packaging selection, which I kind of had a good feeling for anyway because of the frog's leap years. But so we sold those three cuvées in three packs as three tastes of terroir, three flavors, trace sabores. Oh, perfect. So it also goes with my basic philosophy about passion for wine and for things that are growing. I guess um, in the meantime, I, I actually married another winemaker, John Engelskerger, and he said, hey, you can make wine. Why don't you just make wine? It's been a couple, 20 years in the business. Why don't you just go for it? And I'll be your advisor and, you know, but you love to cook. You absolutely love the soil and you're in this because of the land and the, the health. Um, you know, we've been organically certified, but what's happening now with the land even because is you, so exciting. Because you are a, a big steward of the land. Well, that's always been the idea. And so the idea of making wine was from this land was really... The, the most logical, wonderful step is getting, I mean, I'm still in the office, obviously, but, in, but getting out in the vineyard and figuring out what's going on and then recultivating my awareness of and my sense of what has to happen with the healthy soil and what has to happen with birds and, and, and everything. It all comes together pretty naturally from that angle for me. And because I'm really in it to eat, Michelle, as anybody who knows me would have. So, so, you know, it's almost impossible for me to not be down in my Zinfandel and thinking, well, you know, this is just like when I was in high school doing a U-Pick berry patch. I mean, I know when grapes are ripe. I, I've grown up sort of loving those fresh, fruity flavors. Right. So I've certainly gone to a lot of classes and certainly tried to pay as an attention and taste a lot and you know, it's it's been the usual journey, but and it is a profession for me for sure now. Um, but um, boy, I've still got a long ways to go, and um, I'm learning every day. Well, you've certainly evolved through your career, and I've tasted your wines, and they're superb. Want more on today's interview? Purchase Wine Country Women of Napa Valley. It's available on our website at winecountrywomen.com. Let's talk about your wines a little bit more. What's your case production here? We're just about somewhere between three and 4,000 cases, depending on the year. One of the things that um, I think the drought has impacted us a little bit here. We are dry farmed and on on old vines. And so we're dry farmed and minimal till, some till, but minimal till just for the soil. Um, so that has impacted us to some extent, but not, you know, the what I'm trying to do really is is consolidate my production and focus on the estate wines. 
and focus on a couple, just, just two other vineyards that I work with for Sauvignon Blanc and for Petite Syrah. So I'm basically a Zinfandel house. Right. Um, hello in Rutherford, <laughs> why are you a Zinfandel house? But, you know, I am. And, and then also, of course, Cabernet Sauvignon is beautiful here. Um, Sonoma Mountain Sauvignon Blanc is a great pleasure to work with. And then I had to, beginning in 2011, I had to make a, a rosé despite my snobby roots of being a red Zinfandel producer, and it's worked out very well. So we make a whole cluster pressed um, rosé rose of intent from Petite Saran Zin. And then John and I, my husband and I, also are involved with a couple of other projects for out of Appalachian wines and interesting things where we've actually worked with some Willamette Valley grapes recently. So it's really, it's really been a, been a fun journey to keep exploring. So what differentiates the guest experience here? I'm just curious when people come here, I mean, it's a magical place, but at least I think so. But in your words, what, what makes it extra special for the guests well maybe i'll tell you a little story about a lot of times people will call us and say well how close can you get to the grapes and we always say well you know you would be hard put not to be in the grapes here you know (laughs) literally people are immersed when they come here and i think they feel just a little bit sure maybe it's a little their ideal of a throwback to to old napa but we just try to be as personable as we can be and give people some time to enjoy each wine. People have space. People have um, some privacy if they want it, or they have good company if they want it as well. And then really, you know, tasting and observing the wines, we are very dog-friendly. So one thing for sure is that people can come and enjoy some great company. Yes, um, you have from four-footed friends and bring their own four-footed friends with them as well. So you have some beautiful golden, golden retrievers. retrievers. <laughs> well, yeah, they're crazy and but they love company. And every day in the morning, we'll, we'll say, "Okay, ready to go to work." And Boozy Rouge and Kava will just kind of get up and twitch around and go, "Okay, okay, okay, are we going out? When are the people?" coming when are people coming and so I think the idea is we really love having people here and we we limit the number of people so that that visit us it's very you know it takes somebody to know somebody to recommend this place because we are kind of off the beaten path path. really once you get here you feel like you're at home Mm -hmm. I guess that's the thing or at least that's what we hope you feel yeah (laughs) I think so you are certified organic Mm -hmm. why is that so important to you the certification of the property, not the wine, okay. um, is, is a big thing for us. And I'll tell you why. It's because I think it really helps. There's so much in life that's standardized. And for us, it gives us kind of a, a leaping off point for best practices. And for me, it's very much aligned with what I feel about the health of the soil and the health of the plant. And actually, it, then it ties really full circle into the kind of gospel of personal health and moderation and the feeling that um, you know you are a healthy being and the grapes are healthy and the wine is great if the if the grapes are healthy so um, it's not so much organic it's it's rejuvenating uh, rejuvenant agriculture it's differentiated and dense and diverse ag it's integrated uh, there's you know we have sheep 
because we make compost. We have sheep and guinea hens, and then um, we have pomegranates because of hummingbirds, and hummingbirds are insectivores, and we love pomegranates, and we make pomegranate margaritas in the fall after harvest. You know, it's, it's everything has, has a reason. It's either things that are growing here are either productive for fruit or they're fragrant, or they're you know herbs that are wonderful in soup you know right. there, there's there's everything has purpose everything has a connection so it's not the big o word so much as where you can take it from there and getting back to you personally what drives you <laughs> seriously food <laughs> a good glass well, of wine well that's the fuel that's the fuel that feeds you <laughs> um i think what drives me now is the second and third generation in my own family i i think it's pretty wonderful to be a you mentioned the word steward that would be very proud to be known as a steward very very proud and would be very proud to known to be known as a as a teacher or as a mentor or people so it starts with bringing my own kids now young adults around to this and having them su- succeed one of them is truly fully engaged with this business now and i think that's um, you know, the other thing that keeps me going is, is I think, just basic creative energy. <laughs> we have a beautiful place, and I, I love performance art. And so in a way, Crush and the, the kind of dance around the Crush pad is, is, is that. Um, and the things that we do here um, for special events or just the whole idea of having people here to visit is kind of creative. I was going to ask you where your love of the arts came from. I was a theater person in Palo Alto. That sort of saved my life growing up and did a little bit in college. But, um, you know, I'd always say that I, the best person I could ever hire would be a theater manager or, you know, theater major because they know how to keep each performance fresh and alive for people who come here and alive for themselves as well. You know, how do you get through 80 performances a week? Well, it's because you've got an inner source of creative energy. So um, that was, in Palo Alto, was a great place to grow up for that. Um, But um, all aspects of, I had a chance to be involved with all aspects of theater, all sorts of production, as well as performance. And that was, that was really fun. I haven't done anything here, but. (laughs) But it continues to be very important to you. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember seeing movies on your property here. We have movies yes. on the property. We have, um, you know, for our mailing list by invitation, we love to welcome people to that. And, yeah, it's it's um, it's really fun. There's nothing like a like a glass, great glass of wine and a, you know, a potluck feast and watching a, a either a really cutting-edge art film or documentary or some oldie but goodie. Or, yeah. yeah. Anything from Fellini, Fellini on, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really been great. Another component of your life that I wanted to talk to you about your career specifically is the fact that you were one of the founding member, members of Women for Wine Sense. And I wanted to know why that was so important for you to start. Well, it wasn't just me. It was a whole group of women that came together. And Michaela Rodino, who was at... Um, St. Supri at the time and I really were just the facilitators and the organizers Um, but a whole lot of women came together Margaret Beaver for example was one of the people that offered their great room at Mondavi and and that was really a catalyzing event 
And then Katie Murphy and Paula Cornell, many, many people came together, Lily Thomas, many people, Donnie Dyer, to put on the first conference. And I think the electricity in the room still, I still, I think we all have memories of how wonderful that was. It's the first time that women in this business had gotten together and had had, because there was a reason, because we needed to share, because we were on the ascendancy, we were rising in this business and shouting out new ideas and new identities. For example, how do you comfortably put a glass of wine on the table when you're raising kids or when you're new in your own new career? How do you do that to put it on the table and you know how do you command a table and command a wine list in your as part of your career how do you counteract or how do you inform yourself so you're secure about issues like alcohol abuse alcohol in in terms of raising a family and and, and alcoholism um, which is a horrible aspect but I think as a nurse it all came back to that too is that we needed we felt we needed to educate ourselves, educate each other, network, and rise. And I think we caught in the early days, maybe the first decade even with the first national and probably the only National American Wine Appreciation Week (laughs) um, in 93. I think we caught a lot of people kind of by surprise that we actually would have a voice and would dare to use it instead of just putting our hands, heads in the sand like everybody else was about some of the red herrings about this business. And so being able to speak eloquently, as eloquently as we could muster, with, with, with some, it gave us some credence. And I think then progressed us beyond some of the fear-mongering um, that was going on during that time. Now it's both a, a still a volunteer, still a nonprofit, which is, I think, really incredible and important, and still a very um, involving and inclusive of, you know, all aspects of, of life. Everyone is welcome to Women for Wine Sense. The word women does add, I think, a focus and takes us back to the very beginning elements and to say we need a voice and we have a voice. But I think um, with both professional and consumer members, mixing, interacting between the professional roundtables and the meet and greet events and the special the special educational events, the national conferences. We're coming up with our 30th anniversary next year. That's amazing. Which is just like amazing. I'm not that old, I know. (laughs) But I'm also not, you know, I also think I love the intergenerational mix and I love the, um, the attitude that the organization still has, which is inclusivity, education, appreciation. Well, and I think you guys were on the forefront of getting the women out there and get, getting the atten- giving women uh, the attention that they deserved. Absolutely, and talking about those hot yeah, yeah, and talking about those hot topics. Fast forward to today, and I think that that women are finally a hot, you know, truly are a hot topic and have finally gotten the attention that they deserve. I do right. too, and but the the old issues are still there. Yes, um, you know how hard can you work? Right, and, and well, the answer is as hard as you let yourself be worked. And so, if you're in there raising your hand and getting education, then then I think the important step is to be able to um, represent yourself for 
a salary that's on par with your peers. I don't know that that still happens in every location. And certainly something happens is now happening that's pretty wonderful with science and there's parity in the educational system and now increasing parity in hard research and other academic uh, spheres. It's been slow, it's still coming. Yeah. You still look at the portion of women who own solely own their own business and are winemakers and that's still a very very small, small number internationally it's getting better mm -hmm. and there's so many opportunities it's it's really great um but um i think we still all have a long way to go so any of the organizations that are out there that can support nurture nourish anybody but especially women is is really important i think in the next 10 years 10 or 15 years, I think there's going to be a significant shift. I sure hope so. I think, you know, there's a generational shift going on now. I would love to see more intergenerational appreciation mm -hmm. in the business now that I'm getting to be more of an elder. Um, I think it's, it's exciting to see what's happening out there. Um, just as a matter of somebody has a similar interest. Right. And that's the unifying thing. Yeah. And that's what's that's what's exciting. Exciting. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you and I could probably talk about that <laughs> forever and ever. <laughs> well, our interns, for example, to, we, when we have young women interns here mm -hmm. from, you know, globally, basically, it's pretty exciting. You know, it's a wonderful thing. Well, I want to I want to talk about your personal life and we've we don't have as much time as I would like because we <laughs> had so much, much. <laughs> no we had so much fun talking about your career but let's let's get to know you a little bit more on the personal side um, are you a Californian I'm a Californian you are I'm a Californian born and raised I went to school back east in Maine and then in New York um, for most of the 70s okay and uh, but it was sort of a story of how far you know nautical miles away from Palo Alto and that's a healthy thing at that time so okay and tell me about your home if we took a step inside your home what would we see what is your decor dog food <laughs> <laughs> okay it's a farm. other than the dog food <laughs> it's a farmhouse yeah you see a bunch of wonderful rugs and you'd see a lot of um, natural colors and um uh hopefully you, well the, my office is in my home so you'd see my my team in my home as well yeah. you'd see a lot of windows because uh, i don't believe in curtains and so when you live in a place like this it's i mean we have we're looking right now michelle you and i out a window that looks at uh, kind of southeast across the sweep that is rutherford and it's magnificent and so we're we're so fortunate we're so privileged and fortunate that we from our windows, I just love to see light Absolutely. and color and watch the seasons. And there's one from my bedroom window, I can tell when it truly is spring because there's this one red-tailed hawk that comes and lights on this one branch that's illuminated about 6.30 in the morning on a, on a spring morning. And it's just so great that that's happening. <laughs> that's very cool. Other than Trey Saboras, what do you like to drink at home? We are right now, meaning my husband and I, um, are exploring um, northern and central uh, Europe. 
we have a former intern who lives in Friuli, and we have had, you know, we're kind of exploring uh, Croatian, Serbian, Hungarian, um, Southern, you know, Austrian wines. Um, basically, I'll drink any wine that somebody puts in front of me, <laughs> but um, we're loving a lot of whites. We're finding a lot of sophistication in, in Sicilian and um, you know, Nor- Spanish and, and Portuguese whites, island whites, you know, Mediterranean island whites, European island whites. I would be surprised really, by that. Really, really interesting wines. Reds, too, of course. Um, Rosés, of course. But, um, yeah, not to name any specific names, but it's... it's um, you know, you just just kind of exploring out there and seeing what's going on. Is there a most meaningful trip that you've taken that you can share with us? My most meaningful trip, um, well, when I found my my the bowls that are my my iconic symbols um, in Ecuador, um, a Spanish immersion trip to Costa Rica, but I. Perhaps one of the most profound was traveling with a group of agricultural, it was an agricultural leadership program. Um, and in the spring of 2001, I went to Tibet, I went to China, went to Uzbekistan to rekindle my love of, of um, pomegranates. But I also went to Iran. Oh, wow. And so How was in, that? Being in Persia, well, and remember, this is in 2000, early in 2001. So it continues to give me um, focus um, with respect to world events, and I think because we interviewed and worked with so many women, um, we worked had a chance to talk with people in agriculture and in cities and in policies in those four countries. Um, it has had a it had a profound effect on me. It was at a time when I was in the process of leaving Frog's Leap and starting Trace Saboris too, and having the courage to do that. Um, was brought on by being in these incredibly different um, environments, environments, challenging environments, and being with a group of people who was very who were very supportive. So, love traveling with other people. I've had some other great trips. I mean, I'm on a search of all the pomegranate growing regions Areas, of the world, yeah. which has taken me all over the place. But um, yeah, there's why? always a great trip to come. Oh my goodness! <laughs> why your fascination with pomegranates? Well, that's it's again. It gets back to this kind of inter intercultural sort of idea of life, and that pomegranates are have been incorporated into basically every religious, social, religious tradition because they're so good for you, and they're great plants for habitat. And they bring in insectivores and bees, you know, natural pollinators. And so they kind of make the world go round. And they have in California since the 1600s. They have in Europe since they were transplanted, you know, by way of the Moors um, to Western Europe. And I think they're just fascinating. And, you know, not to mention delicious. So we we grow um, about 15 different varieties here. And, uh, And what do you do with all yours? We make pomegranate vinegar. You make margaritas. We make margaritas. <laughs> um, we give them away. We incorporate them into as many dishes as we can um, year-round. And just talk about them um, because they're a great part of our habitat. Are some pomegranates better for vinegars than others? or Are they um, all equally the not, same? But some are better for some dishes than others, some okay. rice dishes, and because you've got some that are almost you know sweet and light and pink, 
and you've got some that are deepest ruby red and you've got some that are sort of spicy and wild tasting and have a lot of tannin so they're piquant and they're they're fun they're delightful and you know they just they taste good they're good for you I think I'm going to have to take a closer look at pomegranates <laughs> now. <laughs> well, um, I, I, I'm sorry to say, I think we have to wrap things up. Well, so. thank you, though. It's been really, it's been really fun. I wish. Um, well, it's I'm not gonna... over yet. We have to wrap it up with five quick questions. Oh, okay. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. Are did these? Did I get flashcards? No. no. Okay. <laughs> okay. But I'll try to be as okay. as easy on you as possible. Okay. But the right. thought All is right. not okay. to give a lot of thought to these questions so here we go what kind of car do you drive i drive a bolt i drive an all-electric little car okay what is the last piece of candy you ate well chocolate for sure okay i'm not a big fan of chocolate with wine but i love chocolate who do you call for advice um my husband okay and my son who is your favorite singer? Oh, Aretha Franklin. And what is one bucket list item? Um, traveling to some of those um, Mediterranean islands um, that I was talking about. Um, that's just continuing to travel, you know, okay. kind of travel out there. Julie, thank you thank so you, much. Thank you, Michelle. What a pleasure to be in the book. It's really, it's really a great book. You're and an amazing it's lady. Really fun. Thank you. But it's really, it's really great fun to be part of that whole, that whole group of women that you've so beautifully pulled together in that lovely, lovely book. So thank you. Thank you for tuning in to listen and learn about the women featured in our lifestyle books and involved in our business. Share these episodes on your social media platforms so more people can learn about Wine Country Women. Visit our website at winecountrywomen.com to join our list and be the first to learn about exclusive offers and events. Grab a glass and join us next week for a new episode of Wine Country Women.